Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our Black Friday sale. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery on all Smart Beds when you add a base. And Cyber Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. In part two of this interview with Moose T, we talk about Sex Bomb, his collaboration with Tom Jones, and about Horny 98, one of the biggest hits and the most fun pop house track of the 90s. Um, we had our label, Peppermint Jam. You know, I think it was founded nine, end of 93 or nine, yeah, end of 93. So we had the possibility to release our own music, you know, press up vinyl, you know, it was beautiful. And it was it was almost like a playground. So whenever, you know, I had something cool or, you know, if I said like, look, I just pressed it up and then, you know, we just distributed it all over the world. Beautiful. Great feeling. Um, I did this Michael Jackson mix. We were talking about it and I still am crazy like that, but not as crazy as I used to be that whenever I do mixes and that's I don't know if it's because I'm a Libra or, you know, I messed up in my mind, whatever, but I. I can never only just do one version. I do like separate version. I do like a cool radio mix. I do like a club mix. I do a dub, whatever. So basically I did the remix for Michael Jackson and as a kind of like a, a leftover, you know, I wanted to, to do like a cool dub mix, you know, to kind of like complete the package. And at the end I didn't do it. And then I said like, look, Michael, here's your mixes. And that little dub mix that I started sounds really cool, but I'm just going to put it to the side. So I had it in my, in the vaults basically. And then, Month later, we had um, a friend of ours, uh, Roger Sanchez, who's a well-known U.S. Uh, house DJ. He came over to Hanover, we hung, and uh, he played that night. And they were just exchanging tracks and listening to demos or whatever. So I played him that thing. I didn't even forgot about it, whatever. And he completely lost it. He was like, oh, my God, what is this? You know, we have to release it. And then Errol, my partner, he was the same. He said, like, oh, my God, this sounds so special amazing track and then I was like all right if you you know if you feel it you know let's let's press it up and do something so I did like a a cool picture disc with the instrument with a track called horny like an instrumental track and a track called bad boy on the flip side and it completely flew out of the window it kind of like people were crazy about it we sold shitloads of vinyl you know I don't know 150,000 vinyl or something at the time so it really gained attention of all like you know especially the uk a&r so we're like oh my god what is this and then something started you know for the first time um uh, which we call a bidding war basically you know like people from the record companies they were kind of like all right i want to have this track we offer you this money the next company was like i want to have the track we offer you and then they completely you know and, and we're like really wow it's the instrumental track and people going so crazy about it you know what let us try to put a vocal on top of the track to kind of like, you know, make it, make it a song. And um, that's what we did. Um, Errol, Errol met this, um, met this two girls from Birmingham, you know, which we didn't even know if they could sing, Emma Lanford and Nadine Richardson. So we flew them over, you know, we worked on the track, 
um, the track, um, the song Horny happened basically. So it was basically, the idea was, um, I called the track Horny because of like the horn samples I was using in the track. And then obviously if, if you convert that to a song, you kind of make it like, you know, a, a more sexual or more like, you know, um, horny, horny, uh, you know, lyric basically. Um, but that must yeah, have occurred but, uh, to you immediately. I mean, you know, you say from the horn section. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, you knew what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I um, guilty as pledged, but uh, uh, yeah, and that's how the track happened. And basically, it was really it's 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 a really standout track basically at the time. And and even I mean, we had you know the whole obviously the English loved it. You know, it was crazy. It was a worldwide hit. We even signed it to America. Actually, Rick Rubin, I don't know if you know that, he signed the track to American Records in, uh, in the US, you know, and obviously, you know, we, it was hard to get radio in the UK, uh, US for it. So what those guys did, Rick and George Shakulius, they put it on the South Park movie and on the South Park compilation. And that's how, you know, it became a big record without even having radio. How did um, success change you at that point because did you fear success or did you actually just say come here if this is fantastic i'm enjoying this because some people have a real problem that you you work yeah. for so many years to get a massive hit and then suddenly you have this hit and there's a fear that comes up so i just wondered what came up in you yeah. well to be fair steve i didn't work all the years to have a hit it just happened at one point it was almost like an accident which felt great but it was scary. And actually, there were two points which, were, which really changed for me. First of all was basically um, um, all the recognition that you get. You know, guys like you, MTV, Viva back in the day. You know, all of a sudden people were kind of like seeing the video. They were, when you walked down the street, they were kind of like, <coughs> excuse me, turning around. It really felt awkward. It was really like, ooh, that's strange, you know. And it, it really felt uncomfortable. I'm really now used to it. And I love talking about my music. Back then, it was really awkward. And the second point, basically me coming from the underground, all of a sudden having an overground hit, really felt strange. Because you're always, the fear that you have is basically that you're not cool anymore. You know, the people go like, oh, you know, you know, he was cool last year, but now he's like, oh, I don't know, you know. And, and that's funny enough that it happened with Horny because people like Master at Work, everybody, all the, the great DJs, they were playing the instrumental version. But when the, when the vocal came about, it like shifted to another dimension. It's like, you know, on the radio, or whatever. So something, something happened there, you know, which I still yet had to digest. So how did you deal with recognition? Um, I just threw myself into it, basically. I mean, really, it was really awkward at the beginning. I was almost getting angry and people kind of look. I was like, all right, you know, what's, you know, any, any funny T-shirt I'm wearing or anything. But then I went to it. And then at one point, it, it really felt good that you had the opportunity as an artist to, um, to speak about your own music. Uh, I mean, basically, it was like schooling, you know, something you have to do and that you have to throw yourself into it. I mean, I know there's, what's the guy's name again? Um, a great piano player with a, with a dark voice, you know, the big old, uh, one of the biggest like songwriters. Um, 
What not? You don't mean someone like Johnny Cash or not Johnny Cash, but uh, what's the guy's name? It maybe comes, but he said basically, look, you can buy you can buy my albums, but I'm not I'm not going to give you any interviews. Basically, you know what I mean? That's what he said, and which is fine. But I'm the opposite. I love talking about my music, you know, rather than have other people speak about my music, you know, and maybe have different ideas. So you know, I just threw myself into it. To be honest, do you think the fact that you've been in Hanover your whole life? and that you've had the structure that that gives you, do you think that maybe that was also a savior? Because when I came to Germany and uh, I came here very well known, but I, came, I was even better known in Germany than I was in, in Britain. So I, I came to Germany and it was explosion and I didn't have a sort of safety net. And I went a bit mad. <laughs> it was a lot yeah. of fun, but I went a little bit mad. And, yeah. and I think it's because I didn't have that sort of security that you would had in, in Hanover. So what role did that play for you? Yes, I think that's a major point, uh, the security. And plus, as we already stated before, you know, I kind of started with the whole game quite late. Just imagine me being 17, like the guys from, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, what's the guy's name again? Um, uh, uh, in the monsoon, um, Tokyo Hotel. Young kids, you know, becoming super, becoming superstars from one minute to the other. And then obviously you're going to freak out. Or maybe if you don't have like a certain structure, you know, you maybe even might might even start and end your career the same day. So that was a good thing that horny. I was like 32, basically, with my first big hit. So it was I, I was a grown man. And and the Hanover, the Hanover situation is a good point. You know, it's a, it's a I mean, I always kind of or basically the question is, why are you still in Hanover? And I'm like, okay, you know, now obviously, you know, look at what what we are doing. You can connect to the world, you know, easily. You can fly wherever, wherever you want. You know, I, I do sessions in LA or London or whatever. It's a good thing. But again, you know, you always think what might have happened if I'm would have moved to London or New York, you know, after after having the successful London. Maybe I would be, you know, somewhere else in other like, you know, in other dimensions or nothing would have happened. So it's always like this kind of like, you know, what if, you know? I mean, you mentioned earlier about your, your father being a bit resistant to your music career and um, your big hit that comes out is called Horny. <laughs> I just want, I would love to have been a fly on the wall when you went home to dad and mum for dinner one night and yeah. they asked you, what's your new single called? <laughs> what happened? But, I mean, my, my dad passed away last year, so I still can't ask him, uh, but but I think he, he you know, he, he didn't even care. You know, he just, he just, knew something was happening and I was I was getting recognized for my, for my work that was great my mom she's she's really cool she still comes up you know when I have like gigs somewhere she still comes standing she doesn't care you know what they what they understood actually was my was my collaboration with Tom Jones because they knew Tom Jones you know he was big in Turkey back in the day big star and even their sex bomb they didn't even care about the title they were just like oh Tom Jones thumbed up you know what I mean but obviously we had a lot of friends and people from the US or like English speaking speaking countries saying like, Oh, my God, what have you done? You know, it's like, I, I have to tell my kids, uh, kids that actually it's like honey, 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 and not horny and whatever. So you know, to kind of like get a little, you know, detour. <laughs>
You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. So tell me about Sex Bomb, because as you said, you know, you fulfilled a, a dream of your mother, probably, by actually exactly. recording with Tom Jones. And that came about um, after Horny. Can you tell me how that came about and uh, how it was w- went down in the studio? Yes, definitely. So after the success, success of Horny and, and, and my success as a producer, like you doing productions, remix, whatever, so we had some recognition. And um, um, we met Tom's son, Mark Woodward, who's actually managing him. We met him at the music fair, uh, the Medem in Cannes. And he was like, oh, my God, you know, we love what you do. And maybe if you if up for it, why don't you like uh, remix some of Tom's old stuff? And we're like, yeah, great. But it never happened, actually. But we had the contact to them. And us, obviously, having this single hit under our belt, you know, we're like, all right, so now we have to work on an album, you know, to become a legit, legit artist, basically. And then and then we, we, we kind of toyed around with that idea of having maybe doing a cool track with Tom Jones, you know. And then we're like throwing ideas back and forth. And then we said, you know, we kind of said, Tom is a sex symbol for us because, he, you know, I mean, even now at gigs, he still get thrown underwear on stage and all that stuff, you know what I mean? And with the sexy like hip moves and everything. So we're, we're starting, you know, I was playing the chords and it came up with like this bluesy riff and Arrow was like, yeah, sex symbol, sex symbol. But it really faint, like, uh, felt like, you know, awkward. So I was like, why don't we go like Sex Bomb? And then we, it, it immediately hit, you know, we do, did the song. Um, Emma, Emma Lanford, who sang Horny, she did the demo. We sent it over to, to Tom, he loved it. So I flew over to London. We recorded the track, um, you know, Tom, he was basically, I mean, that's how he, how he works in the studio. He had like a towel, he was sweating. He did like two, two takes, you know, amazing. I turned around to Errol, I was like, you know, because Horny, I didn't know if it was, would become a hit or not, but Sespom, I heard what Tom did, I was like, you know, this is huge. And um, so I, I, you know, took the track back to Hanover, finished it, sent it to Tom, he loved it. And then I was, because the idea was basically that it was, uh, that I would use it for my album. But then Tom heard the finished product and then he was like, look, Musti, I know it's for you, but would you mind me having it on my album? And he basically really fought for it because uh, his album at the time, you know, this like collaboration album, which made him like kind of like cool and big again, it was all, all right, already like done and dusted. So basically this track wouldn't even made the album if Tom wouldn't have like really insisted that it was. And I was like, hey, you know, you're, you're, the, you're the king. So, you know, you're the tiger. So you go have the track. We make a duet out of it. And it was great for both of us. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our Black Friday sale. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery on all Smart Beds when you add a base. And Cyber Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. What was his contribution in the studio? Because you say, you know, he he reminds me of stories of Tina Turner walking into the studio and recording for Heaven 17, Ball of Confusion, and then they them thinking it this is just a rehearsal and and she just blows them out of the you know out of the studio with her voice. Um, what did Tom contribute to the song? Because he's had such a great experience, a long experience in his life. I presume he also brought something with him. Yes. I mean, the first thing he brought with him is, first of all, his talent. 
The second thing he told me later is like, Musti, whatever you do, you have to be really, you have to like the song. Because if you record something, if you don't like 100% stand behind it, and you have to perform it 50 years on stage, it's going to kill you if you have to sing something you don't like. So that was a really good advice that he gave me. And basically what he did is two very clever things. First of all, we're going through the lyrics. And we obviously wrote the th song about Tom Jones because like him being a sex bomb. It, it was, the original lyric was sex bomb, sex bomb, I'm a sex bomb. It was Tom singing about it. And he's like, look, I really appreciate you guys, you know, doing this for me. But why don't we change it, you know, for a matter of perspective and go like sex bomb, sex bomb, you're a sex bomb. So kind of a lot of people can identify. So ba he basically took the, took the spotlight a little away from him, which was really clever. And the second thing, what he did basically, he recorded the track on the, on the, on my original demo in the studio. And then he was like, he was like, all right, you know, this feels really good, but I'm warm now. I can take it up a couple of, couple of notes, you know, basically you have to transpose the track. And I was, I mean, back in the day, you know, we didn't have any pro tools, logic, whatever. So it was really, I was like, oh my God, I brought a DAT with the instrumental. And then we kind of managed with a harmonizer, this kind of like, you know, geeky, geeky transposing machine to, to kind of transpose the tracks a couple of couple of semitones higher and then he really belted it out so he he knew exactly what he could do with his voice you know and where he's sounding the best and that's actually if you know the track sex bomb you know the the the, the track basically flows along beautifully and then i have this like kind of transition part in the middle of it, da, 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 and it takes it higher and that's what gave me the idea to do that so tom is the dude man yeah no absolutely and i think that that sort of modulation of like going up uh, a few levels that goes up a yeah. few levels is 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 really what makes that track even yes. a greater track yeah. which is which is brilliant um we talked about the, the at the beginning about uh, identity and that um your father uh, was much more accepting once he'd got this letter from <laughs> the local government and also when you were nominated for a for a grammy both you, you were accepted as turkish in turkey and german in in germany um and that opened your eyes to identity did it open your eyes also then to turkish music did did that change did you suddenly decide okay maybe there is a whole culture here that i also need to invest in a little I mean, I was always curious and open for stuff, but I had this kind of like little devil, devil underground, I would call him, you know, saying like, look, you know, you're, you're doing cool stuff, you whatever. And the success of Horny first and then Sex Bomb more so really opened my vision and said like, because with Sex Bomb is really funny. I've, I mean, my, my dear friend, Simon Dunmore, he runs Defective Records and he called me up when Sex Bomb was number one and said like, look, congratulations on the success, but you know, I think that's it with your coolness. I mean, my fear with Horny, basically now with Sex Bomb, even multiplied, you know. And I was like, oh my God. And then I really kind of like, I was like, no, I calmed down and said like, look, but but why not why not try things? Why not just like, if I want to do a hard rock track or R&B or whatever, I'm, I'm going to do it. If it's shit, I'm not going to play to anybody, but at least I'm going to go for it. So this curiosity and the professionalism as a producer kind of like really, really kind of like started after I had sex bomb and and obviously Turkish music or basically music with like other structures and formulas really kind of like 
you know, I was really interested in kind of like digging deeper there. I mean, what you've diversified over the years, and I think that has been really interesting. And you've had, obviously, you've been, you know, musician, you've, you know, you're a producer, uh, you're running a company, you've got all these different facets to you. And then you become a judge on Deutschland Superstar, which is Germany's version of um, Pop Idol. Um, and this is an entertainment show, and we know it as an entertainment show, but it also is an entertainment show that brings up um, young artists. In some way, I've always looked at that and felt a fear that they are, if they win, they are catapulted incredibly quickly into success without the long learning process that you had, for example. Um, so on that show, how do you nurture new talent for yourself how how do you actually sort of explain to them what it's really about because it isn't just about having a one hit and then disappearing it's about trying to develop a career isn't it definitely i mean obviously first of all i mean i mean i have to be really honest here you know the the very beginning i started obviously and that's a process of 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 recognition and like uh marketing promotion whatever as as an artist that you obviously at one point you apart from the cool music stations that we that we used to have with MTV and Viva, you know, you go on national television, you do this, you know, you, you dive in and basically it's promotion, you know, you do it because, you know, obviously you, you like what you do, but it's more so, all right, maybe I'm going to tap into like other audiences or whatever. So I have to be really honest here. But what I find out found out is basically like what I do on these shows is what I do actually as a music producer in the studio. I speak to young talent, you know, I gave them, I give them advice, you know, I nurture them, I help them on the way. And, and that's what actually these shows, if they're done, done well, that's what they actually do. But you have a point is like, you know, that sometimes, you know, you really take a long time to, to, to basically, uh, to, to work in your craft or on your talent. And um, yeah, this is a really nice saying, I don't know who said it. it's like, I, I became I became a star overnight and that took me 20 years. You know, that's basically, you know, that's, that's what it is. But I don't think that it's really bad to, to get chances given or even like the Beatles. I mean, they were basically put together through a friend or to a manager or whoever. So, you know, if, if you kind of like do that, my only criticism, and that's probably like a German thing, I'm not sure because the very, you know, the No Angels back then is was probably the, the first like, big, big group out of Germany, they, you know, they, they did everything kind of okay, because they had a structure, great songs. Apart from that, I think the, the English and the and the Americans, they really do it well, they really take it serious. And you can you can tell like even somebody like Sir Tom Jones is now, now a judge on, on, on the voice, you know, which is great. But the Germans is very kind of like it, it is an entertainment show, it's got got not so much to do with actually the music, you know, you want to entertain you know, the families at home and, and given good stories and given given emotions and stuff. So I think it's it's as an experience is okay, but obviously I'm aware it's a tough one. If 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 I'm a singer, if I'm 18 years old and I have the chance to perform on television, even for the fun of it, I would probably go for it. I don't know. I mean as we as we get older, um connection to uh youth culture is becomes more difficult. It becomes much more of an effort. Right. <laughs> and no, necessary, we don't necessarily want to do it. I mean, you know, people change over their lives and, and everything. 
Um, how do you see your connection, uh, how that has developed uh, over the years, and how do you see that going in the future? Um, it's a very good question, especially as a producer, I mean, as an artist anyway. I mean, look at Madonna. She's always like, or, or actually she used to, always like dig deep and see, you know, who's cool and what's what, you know, that's really cool. But as a producer, you always, you always, I mean, I'm always checking music. I'm always checking trends and all that stuff. But me as a, yeah, I mean, I, tr I think one, one thing you really have to be, no matter what is, be authentic, authentic. I see that when I DJ, you know, it's like if I really do my stuff and not try to be somebody else or try to be young or whatever, people love it. You know, I have like I, I play wherever they have 18 year olds in the crowd. They go like, oh, I'm horny, you know, great, whatever. So it's it's great. So if, if you just stick to what you can do or whatever, then I think I mean, that's that's my experience anyway. So it's it's it, and, and people they, they will. And that's the beauty about art, you know. At one point, there's always this kind of, I would say, 15 or 20 year cycle, you know, they 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 will dig again and find out something like the 90s are back, they were hip again, you know, so people dig and see, oh, man, that's the tracks you did like 20 years ago and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's it's, you know, be authentic. You're listening to Pop, the History Makers with me, Steve Blame. I want to finally end on something that's very sort of personal to me, which is uh, obviously as someone who was on uh, MTV between 87 and 94, um, which had a great impact on German youth culture because uh, Germany only had a couple of TV channels. It had very few music shows. It had their version of um, Top of the Pops, which was called Formal Eins, which went out once a week. And I, I think Music Box had just arrived uh, just before MTV. But when MTV came along, it, it was a sort of uh, earth-shattering impact on, on the youth culture. What do you feel that brought the youth at the time? And what do you feel could come along next to bring the next major impact? Oh wow! Deep questions. I mean, obviously, what it, what, especially MTV brought to the use to all of us basically was. I mean, was everything you could actually now see who's behind the music. You could see styles. You know, it not not only nurtured you on your music taste, on your uh, cultural upbringing. It gave you, it gave you the fashion. You know, it gave you the haircuts. It gave you everything. So it was. It was really important, you know, it was basically the first social media, if you want to say so, you know, it was amazing. So, so it started a lot. And the next thing that could come, it's, it's, it's a tough one because right now we have so much. So I'm not sure if it's, if, 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 if everything has to kind of like, you know, go back into niches and like, like reinvent themselves. And I'm, I'm not sure, Steve, you know, it's, it's, a reason I ask that is because I think today there is um, people are more centered on technology than on what technology can do. So you are more centered on what type of iPhone you have rather than what that iPhone can do for you. And I just wondered whether that there will be another sort of shift. Um, and I don't want to say back because I don't think we will go back in any any form. We can't go back. We've moved on too far, probably. But in terms of moving the creativity 
back into the front rather than the technology that brings mm -hmm. the creativity? Um, I mean, obviously, there's great examples of artists. I mean, look at David Bowie. You know, he obviously he was a singer songwriter, but if you went like, if, if you dug deep and went to this exhibition, you saw he's a beautiful, he's a beautiful uh, uh, fashion designer. He's a painter. He invented a, uh, uh, he invented a computer program, you know, to deal with his lyrics and all that stuff. So, what I want to say with that is basically, obviously, a lot of stuff is depending on technology. But as you said, first of all, we have to learn to deal with the technology appropriately and then then probably look outside because that's what actually that what makes art sexy, because me as a as a musician, I still look outside and see, OK, what 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 is going on in, in the design world, in the food world, you know, get my inspirations and stuff. And that's if we, I think, manage to cooperate with other other um, art forms you know that's what's going to make things sexy and then combine it with te te technology i think you know but but again you know it's nothing new you know people like peter gabriel david bowie whoever uh, they, they they already did it but now if we kind of like nurture a little bit on that field that might be might be a cool thing well miss t thank you very much for talking to me and thank you for your contribution to our culture because i think it's important to thank people because they contribute massively and, and it's, it's a really positive thing. And I have been to your studios. I interviewed the Scorpions just before, no, it was just, uh, it was during the first year of COVID. And I went there and they were, uh, they came into the studio to do an interview with me. So oh, I've, wow. I've been there. <laughs> oh, wow, so, I missed you. Yeah, you have to come back. Yeah. Exactly. So next time in Hanover, I'm coming to visit. Um, brilliant. Thanks very much. And Thanks I so wish much you much success in your future. Thank you so much and see you soon, yeah? And that's it for this interview with Moose T. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you soon. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our Black Friday sale. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus free home delivery on all smart beds when you add a base. And Cyber Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com.